All right, so today we have the Nutrition Roundtable with Jacob Skepis, myself, and Steve Hall. Part one is going to be on this channel. Part two is going to be on Jacob's channel, as the other roundtable was. So when you finish up here, make sure to go to his channel and check out part two. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hall. <laughs> uh, obviously not Steve Hall. I'm Dave McConey from Brains and Gains. We have Steve Hall from Revive Stronger here and Jacob Skepis from JPS Health and Fitness. So we did a roundtable a little while ago talking about coaching, and we thought it would be cool to have a second one. We got some positive feedback, and so we wanted to have one today on nutrition, and then we thought maybe we'll do a third one in the future on training. Um, so welcome, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, man, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us on. So uh, the first thing we want to talk about was, you know, all the clients we work with setting up their nutrition. You know, a lot of times people come and they really just want nutrition or they want training. Obviously, they're both important, but we have to address the diet. Um, so how do we get started with that? Steve, you want to start? Yeah, cool. So um, for me, fortunately, now kind of been coaching for a longer period of time, the people coming for coaching are quite kind of clued up for kind of lack of a better term. Um, but I still always make sure to have kind of a screening process, which I think is probably what every coach should probably have, where we I have a consultation with the individual or a coach or a vibe will have a consultation with the person. And it'll be a case of just asking kind of what is their nutrition looking like? What's it looked like over the years? Uh, what they found has been kind of things that have helped them, what's hindered them, what's their understanding, how kind of advanced are they with kind of supplementation, with nutrient timing, with um, all of these different elements and we kind of figure out how deep do we want to dig first of all and kind of start where they're at so if they're just basic macro tracking we can start there giving them kind of protein targets calorie targets potentially if that's something they want to work with a lot of the time it seems like uh, tracking macros was like the thing and then it seems to have been turned on its head where it's almost like if you're tracking you're a freak and like really obsessed um, so I, it, it's difficult but for a an online coach where your kind of results are driven by a lot of data and you are trying to get someone results in quite an immediate period of time, tracking is almost kind of essential to that. So you really know where you're going. Some people don't need that level, but a lot of the people that come to Revive Stronger are very kind of um, serious about what they're trying to achieve and what they're doing and they're willing to put that effort in. So we very much do tr go down mostly of a, a tracking um, element of whether or not it's just protein calories, protein carbs, um, fat and fiber but it's just finding where they're at and then taking them as far within that kind of scenario as they need to go um, utilizing ranges within most of these um, typically and then kind of moving forward with that and something I do with a lot of them is take them through kind of what's a typical day look like for them in terms of they kind of show me their foods they're eating typical kind of when are they eating them what sort of times they're eating them and then I'll kind of go through that and be like Maybe we want to move this bit of protein here to kind of optimize MPS a little bit. Maybe we want to structure a bit more carbohydrates around your workout. That might be something you find helpful. Things like this, just to kind of see if there's small things we can do to tweak their current thing that they're enjoying to make it fit with them a little bit better. And maybe food selection as well, making sure they've got kind of, if they're hitting their fiber, they're probably getting sufficient fruit and vegetables, but potentially looking at those as well. But it's very much um, for us, we're fortunate that people are really serious about what they're trying to achieve. And so um, most of the clients we have are doing 
some element of tracking um, and I have got some who are doing more intuitive or will use that at some points in their kind of um, time with us where they will more so just go hunger cues um, more habitual kind of going for protein and things but I know when I first started and we had people coming on uh, there was people I, I'd struggle because like tracking was like a big thing for me as a coach I didn't really understand different ways of doing it but I did the precision nutrition kind of course and qualification and they were very much like fists of protein like thumbs of fat and things like this so I did end up utilizing that with some clients to a decent success as well and then on a rare occasion I will use a meal plan but I won't set it they're set it and then I'll be like I'll confirm it and then they can follow that and that might be the final weeks leading into like a contest prep or it might be for someone who is super duper busy and they just need some kind of structure and routine and I'm like you need to set a meal plan go away and do it Uh, so those are some of the ways we do it kind of the initial screening and then meeting them where they're at and taking them to an advancement that is going to get them the best results for their them individually at least sure and it's interesting you're talking about like the ranges and I'm I'm thinking you meant like macro ranges in terms of like grams Um, but what's funny I don't know if you guys remember probably macros have been like really big the last like maybe five or so years maybe five ten years but when i was first getting into this it was all about percentages and people really yeah. talked about like specific grams or everything it was you know 40 percent carbs this much percent protein um it was always percentages and i'm glad to see that that's kind of changed because really i mean unless you're talking about maybe like ketogenic where it really does actually matter the percentage that's coming from fat versus protein and carbs um really the body doesn't recognize percentages it recognizes the you know grams of the total amount of fuel that you're getting uh, and for me, I you know, certainly agree with everything you said there. One of the things that I notice, um, and there's certainly a lot of data on this now, is how bad people are with their nutrition and tracking things when they first come to you. Um, even some of the people who have been doing this for a while, you know, there's, I think there was one study showing obese women, they were asking them how many calories they thought they were eating, and it was around, they thought they were eating around 1,000. And they were actually eating closer to 3,000 calories. So literally, you know, threefold difference. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, and you get that a lot. You know, one of, the, uh, one of the clients I'm training now, he has already done a physique competition. And when I have him, st- he's never tracked calories, really. And when he started tracking, I'm looking at these numbers. And I'm like, this does not make any sense. Like, he had, like, 2,000 calories from oatmeal. And I'm like, dude, I don't think you, because he was doing, like, dry weight versus he, he thought, like, the wet weight was what he was supposed to be counting. Um, it was, it was just completely off. Right. And so you see that all the time. I think one of the initial things I have to work on is just getting people to understand how much they're eating, whether it's way more than they think or way less than they think. Uh, Jacob, I don't know if you want to add anything there. Yeah, no, I, um, think Steve's pretty much on the money. Um, obviously the, the key difference with my approach is that I'm often afforded, uh, the ability to speak to my, clients and athletes face-to-face and I have uh, more regular in-person contact um, as an in-person coach but very much similar process starting with a subjective interview whether it's a Skype or an initial consultation and this is very much an information gathering process to observe and just gain an understanding of their education around nutrition do they know what calories and macros are have they you know, had experience weighing, measuring, tracking food, looking at their diet history, um, what diets they've followed in the past, whether they worked, didn't work, what they liked or didn't like about them, obviously their goals, uh, their lifestyle and their preferences. So just getting a very um, broad understanding of the person that we're working with. Um, And then generally from there, um, after immediately after that consultation, um, I'll get them to just start taking a food record for seven to 10 days 
uh, before I put together any plan, um, just to assess how much they're eating, what they're eating, uh, when they're eating it, um, all these you know factors, um, and looking at their body weight uh, changes in response to the diet. Now, if I have a client who I have deemed to be, I guess, uh, unable to record their intake accurately, that is, they have very little experience in recording their food or um, they just don't understand what calories and macros are and things like this, I'll still get them to record their intake, but I might give them some targets as well. Um, from there, I guess my, my approach moving forward after this initial phase is to actually piece together the plan. So um, working with a lot of physique competitors and powerlifters, um, diet periodization is equally as important as you know planning out training phases. So um, I'll plan out the various phases of their diet um, over the certain time frames um, to optimize their physiology and psychology um, within you know, the confines of their, their overarching uh, short-term and long-term goals. So first, it's a matter of zooming out, um, you know, looking at a macro plan. Now, whether or not I actually plan out 12 months of dining for someone is really context-dependent. Um, if I have an athlete um, who I've been working with for a number of years, um, is quite consistent, reliable, provides good data, I'll plan out their 12 months. Um, and obviously, you know, the longer we plan out, the more um, – adjustments to the phases there is but loosely I'll, I'll plan out the the macro cycle so the 12-month plan um, taking into consideration things like their you know target body weight at certain periods whether it's for um, strength athletes uh, making weight for a specific weight class uh, whether it's physique athletes needing to reach a certain body comp uh, on a specific day um, that aligns with their competitions, uh, taking into account all the key events. So, you know, if they're getting married, they're traveling, anything that's happening, like they have uni, um, all these sorts of things. We just, we put that in the calendar. Um, and then we have the meso plan from there where we look at the months and how we, um, break down the, the overarching strategy over the shorter durations, um, including strategies within the diet to break up the main periods of their diet, which are either going to be energy restriction or energy, you know, surplus. So things like diet breaks, maintenance phases, mini cuts, all those sorts of things. Uh, then we start zooming in from there and I'll look at the microcycle plan. So how do we structure the seven day period? Is it going to be a linear diet? Are they going to have the same intake from Monday through Sunday? Are they going to have a non-linear uh, strategy where they're undulating their intake across the course of the week, potentially including refeeds on the weekend for either lifestyle purposes? Um, most people like to eat more calories on the weekends um, or for physiolog- you know, potential physiological benefits if they're a physique competitor um, or potentially like roving high days if they're a strength athlete or someone who's interested in their performance in the gym, making sure that they have their high calorie days uh, around their hardest training sessions. And then we start looking at the really granular details from there, such as how can I um, you know, devise a plan with it for the day, for each day within the week that is going to uh, you know, optimize their adherence. So things like meal timing and frequency, the distribution of their macros across the meals, uh, you know, what foods they choose to eat. Obviously, I work with them in doing this. I don't uh, give specific food recommendations. Um, and then just generally how they want to, you know, structure their calories over the course of the day, whether they want to, you know, fast in the morning if they're in a fat loss phase and they don't really care for breakfast, if they want to bias calories around the workout because they're interested in performance uh, or they, you know, like enjoying a meal uh, in the evening with their family and we bias calories towards, you know, later in the day. So, yeah, from there, generally speaking, once I have 
all of this mapped out, um, you know, I guess very loosely initially. But as I said, the longer I work with someone, the more um, I'll dial my attention into these things. Uh, we start working out, you know, specific calories and macros um, and what kind of approach they're going to take uh, with the diet that not only aligns with the overarching phase. So if they're trying to lose fat, um, that's, that's the goal. Uh, we need a, an approach that's going to allow us to achieve that <clears throat> and make sure that we're managing the, the metrics necessary and we're measuring appropriately what we need to to assess their response to the diet, um, but also that takes into account uh, their sustainability um, and the psychological components. So you know, if somebody doesn't really like macro tracking, um, you know, we can use self-created meal plans. Uh, they could use a visual food diary, uh, things like that. Awesome. So a ton of detail there. And, and I think, you know, you talked about different phases. And one thing we're going to talk about is the specific dieting phases, maybe when somebody's trying to get really lean. Uh, but first, I wanted to touch on you mentioned having the clients talk about frequency and meal timing. Um, so is that something that you guys really focus on and think is important? Uh, for me personally, <coughs> I, I think I will tell clients it's just really their preference there. I mean, obviously, you know, I wouldn't say just eat one meal a day or something like that. Um, but generally speaking, if a client prefers maybe three meals a day versus six, I've never personally noticed a difference. It seems like the more data we have on the matter, like the more it shows that there isn't too much of a difference um, as far as frequency and timing. But maybe you guys think differently. See, I guess for what we do is um, both me and Pascal are really uh, flexible in that regard. We give some overarching recommendations, like you said, there, three to six meals, spread your protein generally through these your carbohydrates if you can around your workouts um, that sort of thing there is no real prescription there I don't as you said the science on nutrition is very obvious to how flexible it can be and Jacob gave a great overview of all the different things we can utilize and still see great outcomes and some people will want more precision other people will need more flexibility but it's not necessarily saying that one's better than the other so it's very much for my clients, we give those general kind of guidelines of like three to six meals, spread your protein through this is a good idea to have them kind of evenly through the day um, and this sort of thing. And then it's a case of client by client, how serious do you want to dig into this? Some of them are very happy. A lot of the people we work with are coaches themselves. So they know all this stuff, they know themselves and they can do that. Um, other people are a bit more novice and they necessarily don't want to get into that detail. Um, and it wouldn't benefit them. Other people are maybe a little bit more novice and they want to get serious. And so that's where I might go through like a day, um, like an every hour by the day. What are you doing? What activity are you doing? What food are you eating? How much of each macro are you eating? And what are you eating? And then I can really dial into some specific stuff. They really want to get that detailed. But like you said, Dave, like it's not a big deal. Um, it might be that small percentage that most people don't need. But if they want to dial that in, I'm more than happy to because... That's some of the stuff I find very interesting and like to do, um, but I don't necessarily think it's necessary. I really like the fact that with nutritional science, like there are overarching principles we have to abide by, but that just opens up so much flexibility for everyone. Um, it's very much a case-by-case -case situation. And like uh, Jacob rightly said, the psychology of people is huge. So it's very much getting awareness of, do they enjoy this diet? Like if they're often talking about it and like, I don't know, they're struggling with certain elements, it's just literally help, trying to help with them. And that's actually... Something I do with more people who are maybe a little bit more gen pop, like you said, Dave, like sometimes they really don't know how much they are eating. And I've had consultations with people who are like, oh, I'm eating this tiny amount. I'm really, really struggling to lose weight. And I'm thinking, let's just start you on what I think is going to be probably a moderate deficit and roll with it. And then they're more precise because they're getting that accountability. They're getting that kind of adherence way up. So that really helps. But yeah, that's some of what we do.
Sure. And then even like, like you said, the psychology of it, and for me, I'm, I was very glad to see in, I mean, I would say recent years, but it's almost like a decade now, um, just showing that the frequency isn't as important. Um, I think we might've mentioned before, but like when I was in high school, it was like every two to three hours, like I would freak out if I wasn't getting some source of protein. And when I was in college, I decided like I, you know, that's when intermittent fasting was kind of brought up by Martin Birkin. Um, so I figured like I'd give it a shot, you know, three meals in eight hours. And I don't, I don't think intermittent fasting is anything magic, of course. Um, but I will say that I gained just as much muscle in that year than I had in the previous year. Um, and there were other factors too. I was working with a coach then, but the point was it obviously didn't like hinder me that much. I mean, I still put on quite a bit of strength and uh, muscle in that year. And it just really allowed me to see that like you can do this and still live like a relatively normal life. Um, you don't have to freak out about a half an hour here or even, you know, anything like that. So um, the psychology of it is huge and making sure that you can actually incorporate this into your life. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with everything that you guys said. But one thing I will say is in the evidence-based community, people are exposed to information, uh, you know, such as we have a great degree of flexibility uh, within meal timing and frequency if your goal is fat loss. Um, and they'll read things such as, you know, let lifestyle and preference dictate how you structure your day. Now, saying to someone, eat as many meals as you prefer and that fits your lifestyle is, in my opinion, really horrible advice for the most part because if people are hiring a coach, they generally don't know what is best. They're, they're looking for guidance and somebody to help them make decisions. Now, obviously, this isn't the case for a lot of the people that Steve works with. He mentioned that they're coaches and have a pretty good understanding of things. Um, and this is where we need to understand you know, the importance of thinking about you know, these kind of uh, nuances within diet along a spectrum, you know, um, and not thinking categorically that, you know, preference and lifestyle dictate just, you know, whatever fits that, that's how you structure your diet. Um, rather, that's the, the broad strokes. That's, uh, you know, something that is true in the context of, you know, fat loss, but how we apply that to certain situations uh, needs to be, you know, incremental um, in that we shouldn't just completely give people autonomy over how they structure their day because individuals who are beginners, who are just starting out, or even their personality um, and their reasons why they're hiring you might be such that they want guidance and they want tighter constraints on things because that's what they will adhere to best because they don't want to make the decisions or they don't know how they make the decisions. And as somebody becomes more advanced and knows how to navigate a fat loss phase and has successfully lost weight before, they'll be able to structure their day based on preference and lifestyle because they understand what it takes to you know, achieve the end goal and they've done it before. And this is where as somebody becomes more experienced, generally you can say things like eat based on preference and lifestyle because they want autonomy. Advanced athletes, you know, love autonomy. They love taking um, the the process and the decision making um, to be their their own and have ownership over it. Whereas beginners and many intermediates, they need those tighter confines around uh, the specifics of what they should and shouldn't do. Um, and you know, we see things like the pyramids, where it's like meal timing and frequency is like way up the top, you know, just below supplements and then you have adherence at the bottom. It's like, well, did you ever think that meal timing and frequency could massively affect adherence, right? It's not always this bottoms up approach. Oh, just adherence, you know, preference and lifestyle. It's like, yeah, well, unfortunately, um, you know, meal timing frequency for a lot of people can be the difference between whether or not they adhere. 
And I think, again, in the evidence-based community, we see a lot of coaches who just, you know, think of things in a vacuum. They think quite uh, dogmatically and, you know, pyramids, it's like, well, that's more important than that, um, you know, because it's, it's at the bottom or it's lower, lower down on the order of priorities. Uh, and fundamentally, that's true. But in many contexts, it's like these other, uh, you know, principles of nutrition and, you know, ways to apply the overarching, um, you know, goals of creating a calorie deficit um, are going to change in every circumstance. And I think, yeah, like helping your clients determine when and what they eat um, can be a massive factor in influencing behavior change. And for a lot of people, some guidance and recommendations about cool, um, you know, we need to eat less at this meal because that's when you typically overconsume calories, for example, or wow, okay, you're, you're finding your workout performance is really crappy. So, you know, we need to, you know, focus on getting a meal in here so that you're not completely drained by the time you get into your second or third exercise in the gym, uh, you know, and these sorts of things, not only to uphold performance in the gym, but adherence to the diet. Um, I, I've found that meal timing and frequency um, can be a game changer for a lot of people. Um, and I, I know this because I was on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of my opinion on, on this variable now. Um, you know, when I was exposed to, you know, Alan Aragon, Eric Helms, where it's like mealtime frequency, you know, preference and lifestyle, that's what I used to tell people. Eat between three to six meals, you know, preference and lifestyle, like, you know, whatever works for you. So, well, people hire a coach because they don't know what works for them generally, generally speaking, like they want other things such as accountability, you know, motivation and, you know, somebody else to take care of some decisions. Um, but in many cases, uh, we can bolster adherence um, by giving people some, some confines. And, and as I said, when an athlete becomes more advanced, we simply, uh, you know, lower the constraints, give them more autonomy, um, and they can make the decisions for themselves because they have the knowledge, the experience, and the know-how to do so. Um, but yeah, I think it's very context-dependent in terms of how much emphasis we do place on meal timing um, and frequency in our recommendations to clients. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point because um, you're right. A lot of the people who come to us, they, they might even know what to do. I mean, how many advanced people that we see who go to coaches themselves, they know what to do, but they want somebody to be able to tell them and kind of like be in their corner um, and certainly even more so for beginners. I mean, that's why they're hiring you. And I would never want to you know, overemphasize to um, a client, you know, how important something is, I would still want to t let them know and be aware that this is, you know, maybe an individual thing. But I think even like, if I look at my dad from years ago, we were going on vacation, and I would give him general advice. And the advice was sound. But it wasn't until he had this personal trainer who, to be honest, like, I don't even think was a great trainer, he would tell him like, these exercises were so important and everything. But he believed it. And it was somebody telling him this is what you do. And that made him more consistent, you know, so it got him the results and, and whether I agreed with it or not, it still got the results. And so mm. I think, like I said, you certainly don't want to deceive people and make them think you have this magic tip or anything like that. Um, but you're right. I mean, people do come to us for advice and, and they want to hear, you know, how to go about it. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about um, specific diet phases. Something that I think has really changed in the last few years is back, I mean, a couple decades ago now, I mean, people would just go a full contest prep without any, you know, diet breaks, any cheat meals, anything like that. Um, back probably like 2005 to 10, cheat meals or cheat days actually became like really popular. Um, very common to just do, you know, eight to 10,000 calorie cheat days, just all out for one day. And then the damage control was like the next week. And now in the last couple of years, we're talking about full diet breaks. 
Uh, that was popularized a little bit by Lyle McDonald. And then we've had some other studies come out about that, where rather than some huge surplus for one day, you're taking maybe five to seven days and just eating that maintenance. Um, and the idea being that you don't put on a lot of fat, but you are, you know, reestablishing normal hormone levels, um, satiety, all that. And so are you guys incorporating that now when you're having people getting really lean? Are you still just sticking with cheap meals? How are you going about it? Should I start again? <laughs> sure. I just wanted to say on Jacob's points, I, I completely agree. Um, I think fundamentally, I don't look at it as much because of the people I work with. Mm. But I think those are essential. And I think um, in addition to that, uh, like uh, food sources, again, like people who are new, they see macros and then they it's the typical I, if it fits your macros approach. Whereas if you actually start with a kind of food composition approach, quite often they land within a good like deficit, for example, or something like that. So I think that's really important to know that is it's more nuanced than a priority pyramid. There is kind of intertwining mm-hmm. elements. So I think that was fantastically put um, in terms of kind of nutrient um I guess, periodization in many ways. I do a very similar approach uh, that Jacob does with long-term kind of looking at a kind of somewhat of a a future plan. We're massing here. We were in a surplus here, deload, diet break within a a calorie deficit, for example. Things like this is definitely something that we implement as well. And again, like Jacob said, individuals, if they're on holiday, if they're things like that, you can try and kind of drop in deloads in that period of time or a diet break where it suits them. Same with like if they got kind of a weekend where they're going to be out at a stag do or something you put in a a diet break or something along those lines and it might be a stag do where they can't track then so then you use kind of intuitive approach or you might have someone who's going away and they're just going to london where they might be able to track and maybe they're in prep and they're like 15 weeks out and you would get them to track so it's just showing that there's so much intricacies in so many different ways depending on the individual to still get an outcome Uh, but for me yeah it was always kind of when I first went into coaching, refeeds were like, uh, I was like, do, what? Do, like a refeed, just like a magic fat loss tool. Like they just, you eat more and you lose more. I don't, I didn't really understand the physiology or the basics behind them at all. And I had utilized some of them with myself through a coach during my 2014 prep, but they weren't really very much used. And I don't think at that period of time in 2014, they were really like a big tool. And multiple day refeeds certainly weren't. And it's only in like maybe the last two, three years where diet breaks, longer kind of refeeding periods have become more popular and more used. And I have found personally, and I can't say the same as for everyone at Revive Stronger, because I know Pascal isn't as bigger on these, but I find diet breaks within uh, cutting phases, along with deloads, work incredibly well, kind of like a complete you deload in terms of physiology from training, all of that fatigue that's built up, you get a real replenishment from that. And you get in a slight increase in calories. Obviously, expenditure is going to come down. So you need to kind of equate for that. But it might be like 300 extra calories that you get every single day. And you get a diet break. You get all the physiological kind of improvements that you see with that as well. It's an entire week off. And I find that implemented just keeps people really ticking along. It gets their training, keeping high quality. And a lot of the people I work with are, they're kind of a little bit too much of an on and off switch where we like the dimmer switch, but they really like, okay, I'm dieting. I don't want to have like, if I have a refeed at the end of the week, it's going to get out of control. I just prefer the linear approach with the diet break at the end with the deload. And it just seems to work really, really well for a lot of people. Um, Sometimes I implement kind of multiple day refeeds, for example, like if they've got at like random occasions where they're away or they've got events, birthdays, parties, whatever it might be. Um, And also with just experimenting with some people. So sometimes with female clients where there has been kind of 
3MJ and Eric Helms has talked about how kind of keeping periods around for a, a longer period of time has been helpful, having multiple day refeeds. Sometimes our experiment with that, I haven't necessarily seen fantastic results with that. Um, so I do, for the most part, utilize a linear deficit deload diet break approach. And that seems to work really well for most of the people I work with. I don't know if I covered all of your questions there, but I think so. Yeah. The, the fat loss basis I go with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So go ahead, Jacob. Sorry, man. Um, yeah, I think Steve's pretty much bang on the money. I think it's always good to, I mentioned this in, in the previous chat we had, I think, to understand like the origins of, you know, strategies like this and where they come from. And refeeds was sort of an evolution from carb cycling, um, from, from what I have observed. And it, it has been a very interesting, I guess, transition in uh, evidence-based practice um to see coaches go from just very linear dieting to carb cycling um you know and then obviously rapid uh backloading with carbs like there's always been this little bit of an obsession and i guess an understanding that um you know carbs at certain times can be very useful and i think that's uh, certainly the case in the context of fat loss now i have principles that guide uh when I incorporate uh, periods of maintenance because essentially that's what a refeed and a diet break and maintenance periods are. And it's important to understand that the benefits are generally scaled with time, meaning that you know any physiological improvements, whether it's a temporal increase in leptin um, or you know energy expenditure, mood, all these sorts of things, uh, you see a greater effect size with longer durations of you know calorie maintenance. Uh, now that's not to say that you'll restore. Um, you know, all of these markers to baseline, you simply, um, you know, get a temporal increase uh, based on where you're at now. So for example, um, you know, if leptin was say at hundred percent when you're in the off season um, and you've dieted down, you know, over the course of 16 weeks, um, you're not going to see your leptin levels return to that, you know, hundred percent output. Um, you might just get a small increase in where you're currently at, um, which means you're still going to feel pretty average. But that aside, Generally speaking, I use these tools primarily for adherence. Now, whether or not we need to uh, use maintenance periods um, to improve compliance to the diet um, over the week is one thing. So, for example, in the context of you know many lifestyle or physique enthusiasts who go out on the weekends, whether it's to eat out for social reasons or they just like eating more food on the weekend because they're, they're in a different environment, they're not at work, they don't have the same uh, structure and routine, um, you know, that's definitely a case when I'll use refeed. So I typically will use a five-two approach. Um, and that's how I like to set most people up in a fat loss phase is we'll have probably, you know, one or two, um, you know, maintenance days within the week. Now, the benefits of refeeds, like I said, are scaled with duration. They become more important the more that adherence becomes an issue. Um, so in regards to refeeds, as somebody diets, the longer they diet, generally the more refeeds they'll have within the week. And the leaner they get, the hungrier they're going to get. So having more days at maintenance is probably a good idea because it also slows down the rate of loss, which means they're not going to lose um, you know, muscle tissue, their performance won't suffer as much, and they have less fat to liberate, which is you know really important. You know, So um, you know, if you have somebody string together you know seven low days when they're you know sub 10 percent body fat that's gonna hurt and if you're not pressed for time probably not a wise idea so um you know generally speaking like i said 
um, adherence is the primary reason I use them. Um, but as somebody gets leaner and leaner, they would generally have more days within the micro cycle at maintenance, uh, depending on obviously the timeframes we have to get the job done. Um, and same for diet breaks. I think they're a great tool to, you know, mitigate a lot of the fatigue associated with dieting, like Steve said. Uh, said. Um, I generally plug them in in line with uh, a deload, as does Steve. Um, but I like to have roving diet breaks. So I'll plan them in. But if somebody reaches their target, uh, you know, weight for that specific phase early, I'll bring that, uh, that maintenance period forward, um, you know, regardless of what week, uh, you know, it falls on within their training cycle. Um, and in terms of maintenance phases, I generally structure um, my maintenance phases in a way that it, it comes after um, you know a very slow rate of loss. So I actually use reverse dieting uh, within my fat loss phases. So if I plan out somebody's uh, you know four month dieting phase, for example, twenty weeks, they will have ten weeks where they're at a pretty um, you know aggressive or moderate deficit where we try to get the most amount of uh, fat off because they have more fat to liberate, uh, so their rate of loss can be greater. Uh, they're not going to be fatigued if they're coming from a maintenance phase uh, or a, you know off season or a calorie surplus, um, and they're going to be motivated, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and getting some good results and some fast weight loss initially is extremely motivating, which again improves adherence down the track. Um, and then after that 10 weeks, what I generally do, like I said, within my diet periodization model is I'll slow down the rate of loss. So reverse dieting, which is you know, nothing magic, but um, you know, I, temp- I gradually increase calories to slow down the rate of loss. And I will do that in a number of ways. It could be across the week. It could be by adding a high day, like I mentioned earlier, if they've got a 5-2 structure. Um, you know, within the week, I might increase calories, you know, by 10% on their low days, but add in a an extra maintenance day. So they've got four low days, I'd say a 10% deficit and then three high days. And then we'll get, we'll get that rate of loss slower and slower until we find their maintenance calories. We just keep bringing up their calories uh, to the end of the 20 weeks and almost see how much food this person can eat to maintain their body weight. And when we find that sweet spot, we'll then run, uh, you know, two to six weeks um, of maintenance um, and then depending on you know what they're doing after that phase, we'll, we'll transition to either you know the off season gaining phase, um, you know back into a diet where we have a moderate rate of loss now because generally they'll be leaner, so that we're not going to go straight back into you know a faster rate of loss, um, all those sorts of things. So yeah, I guess I have a very it, it seems complex, but it's really not. Um, but it is a little bit more um, intricate in terms of um, I, I vary the intake uh, across. Um, you know, the weeks and months, depending on the objective of the phase. Um, and I use things like refeeds and diet breaks to, you know, improve adherence, um, you know, keep performance high. And, you know, whether we get some physiological benefits, that's, you know, still up for debate. But I have seen with refeeds for females, man, you can get a hell of a lot of water weight off, um, you know, just by reducing stress. Um, you know, even things like I had a girl once, actually, here's a really cool piece of anecdote. She lost six kilos of water weight in over her three day refeed, six kilos. And she only weighed uh, 65 kilos. So she went from 65 to 59, which is like, uh, I think it was like a nine or 10% uh, body weight reduction in water weight over three days. Now she was in contest prep and little things like, okay, you're having a refeed on the Sunday and I 
urged her, I encouraged her, I said, I want you to go out for a meal with your family so that you just don't have the stress of having to prepare your food. And that's just, you know, one thing that you can just have someone cook a meal for you and you don't have to, you know, have that pressure. And it, it's just nice to you know have someone cook for you. Right. And I said, gave her some pretty strict instructions. I said, I want you to have, you know, just two slices of bread, um, you know, a couple of eggs and a few, um, you know, vegetables on the side. I said, nothing silly, factor it into your overall calories for the day, but just go and enjoy that meal. Have a, have a normal coffee instead of a black coffee. And like I said, it was just by having the refeeds, an opportunity for her to increase her food intake and, you know, potentially go out and have a meal, which in the, in the contest prep for most people is like, wow, you, you can't do that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, if you're having a refeed, you're trying to get to maintenance, whether you're slightly over or under, it's not really going to make a big deal. But if you can um, improve adherence and just have somebody stress a little bit less, um, you know, you can get rid of some, some serious water weight. And I've definitely seen that with my males as well. Had a young man who's uh, just in his contest prep now, uh, six weeks, we've, we're doing the, the diet before the diet. Uh, he dieted down for six weeks, lost eight kilos, brought his calories up to maintenance, um, you know, over a three-day period last week. And he's like, oh, man, are you sure? He's like, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I'm like, I know you're not ready yet. You're freaking like eight months out, man. Chill. Um, just eat the food. And, um, yeah, he, lost, he went from an average of 80.5 and now he's, uh, you know, hit 70, 79.2 this week, um, you know, after those high days. And it's not fat. Um, you know, he's just dropped some water. And I think there is some potential, um, you know, stress mediating benefits with, you know, having high days. Um, again, there's nothing in the literature to really support this, but, um, you know, my anecdote at this stage is that refeeds are just beneficial for, from an adherence standpoint, um, this potential reduction in water weight, um, due to stress. Uh, but there are also drawbacks to refeeds as well. If you're always bringing people's food up, um, you know, they can, yes, sustain the diet during the week and it's like the dangling the carrot at the end of uh you know the week for them which can increase food focus on the weekend they start um you know you give them an extra 100 grams of carbs and all of a sudden they just want to eat ice cream and stuff like that um you know it, it can you know heighten food focus and all these sorts of things so it's not to say that they're without their trade-offs because there's certainly many in introducing uh, refeeds, uh, especially when somebody's hungry and been dieting for a long period of time and lower body fat percentages. But I, I do see their utility, and I think that's where, as coaches, we just have to be, you know, super cognizant of the person that we're working with, what's going to work best for them, um, and really just take into account not just these, you know, potential physical benefits, um, you know, but also the psychological stuff. Was that a, did that woman have edema before she did that refeed? Do you know? That's a pretty massive amount of water. Yeah, I, I can't confirm whether or not she had edema. Um, she didn't complain about any like joint soreness or like swelling or anything like that. Um, but yeah, man, like we'd been pushing the diet hard for a while. Um, her calories were down to you know the twelve thirteen hundred. Like it was pretty nasty doing you know about twelve thirteen thousand steps a day from memory. Um, so yeah, like she was she was you know in the thick of it, um, but. Yeah, it's like women can hold a stupendous amount of water, man. Like yeah, she wasn't crazy. like stupid, stupidly lean at that point. So, um, you know, she she could have definitely been holding more water than somebody who is, but you know, say, um, you know, at the very low ends of you know what they can achieve in terms of their body fat. Yeah, I think um, the term that Lyle McDonald coined a couple of years ago was long term delayed. Yeah, whoosh, long term delayed fat loss effect. Uh, he wrote an article on. 
And this is something that I had noticed years before I had seen his article on it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's actually a delayed fat loss effect. I think it's largely shifts in water. Um, but anytime mm. I would diet down and once I would ease up, my favorite time after like throughout the year was like the month after dieting, because you would still lose like a pound or two of water. You're able to increase calories, like you're able to enjoy the food. And it's just it was like a great period. But always, you know, a couple pounds I would lose um, even when the calories would go up significantly. Uh, but you talked about the hormone changes and um, just one anecdote of my own is after my last pretty severe diet, I dieted for probably close to six months. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to get a lot of blood work done just out of curiosity to see how things change. And my free T3 did not recover for close to three to four months, even going back mm-hmm. to significant calories, having gained like 10 to 15 pounds. It took months and months to go back. So I do think there are, are some hormonal benefits to doing refeeds, um, but they are transient. You know, it's not going to really ever get back to normal until you are done dieting for a while. Um, and another word of caution, you know, you touched on it at the end there with refeeds is I don't generally recommend like cheat days. Um, like I said, they used to be really popular. First, like you said, carb cycling was really popular. And then I don't know if you guys are familiar with skip loading. Um, the idea behind that was just like these really low fat, high carb, like cereals, things like that, just like as much as you could. Um, and then a lot of people just do all our cheat days. And that same coach I worked with in college, he had brought up the idea of having one cheat day every week to me. And for that time, like I had not had a cheat day in like forever, like years and years. I just like I didn't want to. I was just kind of worried about it. So I gave it a shot. And what happened was it was he had me do it during the off season too. And it was okay. It was like fine during the off season. Basically, I would eat way less during the week, and then I would eat a ton on weekend. Um, I don't think it's the best approach, even from a health standpoint. But what happened was, as I dieted, the leaner and leaner I got, the more obsessed I became with that cheat day. Um, and I mean, it was it would literally be like a Sunday cheat day, and by Wednesday, it was just all that was on my mind because you just know you're going to eat all this food. Um, and then the worst thing I think is when people will do, okay, I'll have a cheat day every time I lose X amount of weight. Because then what you end up doing is you end up starving yourself to get to your next cheat day even sooner. And I've seen people do that. You know, once I lose a pound, I have another cheat day. Um, And I mean, you can really mess you up psychologically and and really give you a bad relationship with food. Um, So I would definitely caution people against that. Um, And like I said, I I do like the diet breaks more. I think they provide benefits um, hormonally, metabolically. But um, at the end of the day, it's still like like we said, I mean, once you're done dieting, that's when things will come back. But until then, you know, you're going to have these negative changes and it's just about, you know, accommodating until you can get finished with the diet. Yeah, I think I just wanted to say on diet breaks, um, it's it's really well, it, Jacob's anecdote of the six kilos, first of all, is insane. I wonder if there was that was in line. I don't know if actually was she on her period? Was she having a period at that time? I wonder if it was in um, line I can't with that. Remember. It definitely would have there would have been some like hormonal factors that would have been crazy. Um, related to the menstrual cycle, progesterone, estrogen balances that would have contributed for sure. Because it was pretty like crazy. But yeah, and I was just gonna say with diet breaks, I always have to emphasize that it isn't it sounds I, I actually said it to a client um because they're going through one. I was like, it's not a diet break as such, it's more like a, a deficit break. Treat it treat it as a deficit break because a lot of people hear diet break and they're like, oh yeah, it's just a free week to not mm-hmm. do anything. But um, I, all of us are referring to more so that deficit break, which I think is important. And then in terms of that, because I've worked, I've done it with loads of different people, in the long run, it, they, they're successful. But in the short term, I can never actually predict until we've done a few 
some people gain weight, some people lose weight, some people maintain. Mm-hmm. It's really not always the same. I, I totally oh. agree with um, what Steve said. The perception around diet breaks, um, generally for most people, um, it is one that is filled with, cool, I'm no longer dieting. It's a break from dieting. So therefore, my current structures and systems, behaviors around my diet uh, can change because I now have a break. Um, and I think this is hugely problematic and something that I don't think gets emphasized enough. Um, I'm sure many coaches do do this, but, you know, as Steve was saying, but, um, you know, something I do with anyone who's having a refeed or a diet break is, again, I will give them some pretty clear instructions as to how best approach it. So not introduce a bunch of new foods if you're a couple of weeks out from a show, for example. Um, you know, Don't just change the composition and structure of all of your meals, perhaps just increase your portion sizes um, You know, so that there isn't this on and off switch like Steve referred to earlier. It's more of a dimmer switch. We're just, we're just turning you know, the, the food up. We're turning the, the amount of food you're consuming up. Um, you know, we might turn down some of the constraints around your diet. For example, you know, on your diet break, you might only track, um, you know, protein and calories. If you're in a contest break, you're probably, you know, going to be tracking everything. Um, but, you know, for most people, if they're just in a general fat loss phase, you might even, you know, dim down the amount of restraint to protein and calories. You might dim down, uh, you know, restraint in terms of how, you know, what foods they're measuring. They might only measure and weigh, uh, you know, very energy-dense foods. They might not measure their vegetables, their fruits and things like that, track them into their calories, but just estimate, just give them a, you know, psychological break. Uh, you know, if it's somebody who's really overweight and they get having a, a diet break, you might even phase that diet break over the course of, say, four to six weeks where they're just tracking protein and calories at the start. Then you might just get them tracking calories. Then you could get them tracking, you know, um, so sorry, Monday to Friday, they're just, um, you know, eating habitually, you know, based on all the, you know, habits uh, that they've developed over the course of month. And then on the weekend, you know, if they're eating out a little bit less structured, they might actually track their calories and macros, uh, things like that. And then you might have a week after that where it's like, cool, let's just try to run seven days, keep to these habits where you're just, you know, eating, you know, a certain number of meals with protein, certain number of meals with veggies and fruits and trying to, you know, control your portions. And I think that in this context, it's, it's very useful to think about diet breaks as a way to teach people how to eat long-term, um, you know, for, for their lifestyle um, if they're not serious physique competitors um, or in a contest prep and things like this um, because we are afforded more calories um, you know, there's no specific objective where it's like, well, we have to lose weight and we have to gain weight, which is really beneficial because um, people really struggle with the idea of not making progress. Uh, but this is an opportunity, in my opinion, to, to make progress in terms of their ability to eat, um, you know, free from the, uh, you know, the numbers, essentially. So, you know, I think, yeah, it's, it's really cool and interesting uh, to talk about diet breaks and maintenance phases um, you know, refeeds in the context of how do we optimize physiology to get someone as lean as possible. Um, but I also think if we, uh, you know, think more globally about what we can achieve, uh, you know, when we have somebody learn to maintain their weight, you know, for long-term body weight management, um, you know, they're super useful. And, and we can be as creative as we can, uh, you know, to teach people how to maintain their weight, um, you know, and eat habitually um, without relying on, you know, a diet or specific recommendations. And I think that these uh, longer periods of maintenance are a really cool opportunity to do that. All right. So that is part one of the roundtable. We get started right off of that point in part two. So go check out Jacob's channel to get started there.